Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take The Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume The Sunday World if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume The Sunday World responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I see people that have come from backgrounds where they've had all these difficulties. And very often they go to work in these organizations and they bring the lived experience. And what that does is it pushes people to see things from different perspectives. To understand somebody you have to walk a mile in their shoes. They've not walked in other people's shoes. So they have social capital. So they don't know what it is to be born with social deficit. I'm Nicola Talent, and you're listening to Crime World, a podcast about criminals drugs and the sins of the underworld in Ireland and across the globe. Children are now being radicalised by drug gangs according to new reports from Europol which state that kids as young as 12 are being brainwashed to carry out serious crimes on behalf of older mob bosses. So how does that play out in Ireland and do we have enough systems in place to protect vulnerable children? Today, we're talking with criminologist Trina O'Connor about protecting kids from gangs. This is Crime World, a podcast from sundayworld.com. I was actually going to say that because I got this email this week and, you know, it was an unusual one because... Uh, I have to be sort of careful because it was in confidence basically to me, the content of it, at least the the individuals concerned were. But it was somebody who'd worked with um, the children of somebody who came up on our podcast, so a criminal who we were talking about in the podcast. And this individual was just pointing out to me that the children... Because I suppose we talk a lot about how, you know, when when it's a familial business criminality, it's very difficult to draw the children out of it to kind of reach into that family and to somehow give them the support systems they need. But that these kids had been educated, were extremely polite and were going on to a totally different future. Um, it was nice to hear. Now, I know you have yeah. thoughts on it, which, yeah, do. Yeah. I, I think it's lovely to hear that you're getting uh, emails back that young people that are come from a background where there's criminality have done well. And I think that's impressive. Mm. But what I will say about that is whenever you look across criminal gangs or organised um, gangs or families, that are criminal, you'll often see the children are protected within that if they have the resources and the money, particularly if they're high up within the organised crime gang, Mm. because they will look at their children and say, 
I don't want them involved in this and they can use their own connections because they criminals have a lot of connections going back, you know, mm. over the last century or so. You will see uh, mafia, you'll see the craze, you'll see all of these different well-rehearsed criminal gangs being very well connected to people of power. And you see it in America in some of the Ivy League schools. You see the children of criminal gangs um, being educated. So so while it's good, I'm sorry to be a Debbie yeah, Downer yeah, no, on I, it, I get but you. It, yeah. it, it is. It's yeah. kind of like the uh, Tony Soprano's kids. They're yeah. all going to the private schools. Yeah. The yeah. soldiers, you see, yeah. their kids aren't yeah, yeah. getting that. And yeah. like, does that end it? The, the, the criminality. So basically, if you have an individual that, and usually they are familial groupings or whatever, so it's not all the kids that won't get involved in it or maybe will come in at a higher end. I mean, you see that as well. You see some of them that are high up in criminality that their kids will go on to private education, get a probably, you know, practice or whatever, um, either in law or, you know, as a doctor or whatever. Very often. But you also see the kids of high-end criminals coming into the criminal grouping at a much higher level because they've basically jumped up a couple of notches. Criminal nepotism, <laughs> you know, I suppose. It, it is criminal. Being, yeah. being the yeah. obvious one yeah, there, you know, you go in as the boss. Because yeah, and, and they may not be mm. as competent as their parent was, but because of who yeah. they are, they mm. have a position because they're never going to be the foot, foot soldier on the street corner. They're never going to be the one that's exposed the way the young people that I work with is, yeah. are exposed. So, yeah, it's like any business. So for some people, it's an apprenticeship. And for others, they don't want to take over the family business because they've seen all the harms that it's mm. done to their family. But no, it's it's never the end. Like it's, so criminality is something that is evolving and changing all the time. And we're seeing different types of criminality. So you may have somebody who comes from um, a family of intergenerational criminality and they may not get involved in drugs, for example, if that was the family trade, but they may get involved in cyber scams because they've been educated and they can use their knowledge to be involved in criminality in a different way. Mm. So it's, it doesn't necessarily say that even if they're given all these opportunities that they can't be sucked back in because for many, criminality is one of the most glamorous yeah. spaces for them to be and the status that it gives them, particularly at that high end, is mm. is just too attractive to be them. Because that must be what drives criminality a lot. This is what I believe. It's actually more than the greed for money. It's the pursuit of status, isn't it, for young men? like I mean, that is within that community, like the idea of being a big shot or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You kind of got this kind of, you see, it's a power driven thing, Niall. Yeah. So for young people who live in an environment where they have no locus of control no. or they have no individual power or status, yeah. For them, if they can be a big man on the street corner, yeah. it can give them a sense of achievement and masculinity. Yeah. And if they grow up in a home where there's toxic masculinity, so their role model is toxic, yeah. well, then they will, while it can be confusing because on the one hand, they can really abhor this kind of toxic masculine role model that they have. They don't like how to behave. They don't like the violence and chaos that they bring to the home. And yet, on the other way, they want to emulate them a little yeah. bit or they want to be tougher than them mm. yeah. you know, and more successful than them. So it's a, it's a power because every young person, and, and I'm sure when you remember back to your teenage years, 
we all struggle to find our identity, but but all of us, no matter what, wants to stand in our own power. Yeah. Whatever our power is. So for some people, their own power is creativity and the ability to paint and do beautiful um, creative work, like maybe in the arts. For other people, it may be being feared so that they don't have to dig deep mm. and deal with the psychological wounds that they have. Yeah. So, it, it, and then there's loads of things in between, you know, for other people standing in in their power as being independent enough to have a career yeah. if they come from a background where nobody walks. So just lots of different yeah. ways but to young, power. Young men and, and like, you know, I have teenage kids, so I know... They yeah. don't think far ahead. So if there's something available there in front They're of them. They're impulsive. Well, they are impulsive, but if there's also a kind of a status or yeah. a sense of something right there, they don't think this is going to be transitory. They think, I'll grab it now. It's here now. You know, and that's in, in minor ways. But. Yeah, but in major ways as well. And yeah. and there's a, there's a physiological reason for that yeah. because the brain of young people is not matured until they're around 25. And indeed, unfortunately for males, very <laughs> often until they're about 30. I'm not surprised by that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's why we 47.2. Wow. Yeah, yeah. The fact of that in a minute. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I could... I could categorically say yeah. I don't think it happened to me to my mid thirties. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, honestly, like I some, don't, sometimes so. it takes the influence of a good woman to Ooh, uh, <laughs> to to bring that to bring that maturity there. But I do I do think that when we look at the risk taking behaviours of young people, this is where as a society and in the Western world we need to be safeguarding them young people mm. because this is where the vulnerability of lack of critical thinking of instant gratification and we are dealing with a new generation, the first generation ever that at their fingertips have information and don't have to, like, I'm going to sound 100 years old. Mm. I, like, when I was researching stuff for university, when I first went to university a couple of decades ago now at this stage, three decades ago, I had to use encyclopedias, go to mm. the back of the encyclopedia, find the word, find what books of the encyclopedia it was. In. You had yeah. to find all this information. Yeah. Nowadays, it's instant, it's quick. And and for young people, that is what they want in life. And they get instant gratification from putting up, say, dodgy pictures or something like that. So they get it back, they can find it and they get it back. And the instant reaction to everything they do reaction. when they're on social media yeah, and everybody so, so starts liking. And Yeah, if they're being bad mm. and they put it on social media, they instantly get a hit of it. Do you and know there's what I mean? validation there's in that validation. for a young person. There's validation and yeah. there's also then the natural rebellion against the parent, parents and all of that. Yeah. I mean, like, if you look at young men are you know, more involved in crime than young women. Yeah, that's like, I mean, what, what, why don't criminal gangs, and they do a bit, but why aren't they seeing the equal rights of men and women <laughs> when they're looking at grooming children, yeah. you know, radicalizing them towards becoming those pushers, the dealers, and ultimately some of them killers? Like, why are they just going back again and again to those young men. Yeah, because there's, there's biological differences between the sexes in terms of what young men are, I suppose, capable of doing yeah. depending on the circumstances. So <clears throat> girls are used and girls are very often used in the grooming. So girls are very often used to uh, befriend young people 
um, and to maintain relationships with them and to be there kind of sometimes, and I've spoken about this before, within organised crime gangs, you will see the sexual exploitation of young girls. Mm. And that's not really talked about because that's within the gang. And you do see that when there's drugs there and when there's violence. So that sexual exploitation happens with girls. Males are exploited more for their violent tendencies. So young boys who grow up in a violent background or in a background where there's a lot of um, depression or uh, lack of of, uh, guidance, they can be more malleable to behave in violent ways. And these are the young boys that are used for drugs-related intimidation that we see. And that also brings us right back to what we were talking about in terms of the the physiological difference, the brain, that risk-taking part of the brain that doesn't completely develop in young males until they're about 30. And that's why we see more young males uh, speeding on motorbikes or or doing bungee jumping uh, or all of these kind of high... So do you mean that they're more, they're they're going to just more naturally be, be drawn or do what they're asked to do, whereas the girls might sort of question it a bit or they might... They, but see, they're, they're primed, are they, by evolution, young men, yeah. to take risks yeah. and to seek status. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Is that... It, it that, is, like, it goes right back to the caveman. It's like the yeah. hunter-gatherer, like, you know, um, the, 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 the male will go and get what needs to to be brought back to the homestead to provide for the home. And, yeah. and that's mm. very traditional, but the reality is in a lot of ways, that's how we've evolved. Yeah. So, um, and, and it's an unusual time right now. We're in 2024. We're at a situation where we have almost equal status yeah. in 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 work environments, almost in, in where we live in the Western world. And I think that for some males, that can demasculate them also. Yeah. Because, I mean, like my my dad always says to me, like he grew up in, in, in Cabra and, you know, in the 60s, I suppose, mostly. He says everybody was poor and nobody robbed from anybody. Mm. And what he means is that, like, it, it's the inequality in society where you have some people that are really wealthy and you have young men that are really disenfranchised. That's what drives crime even more. Mm. And that's why you can see organized criminality. It exists in countries like Mexico, uh, India, Colombia, where there is wealth and poverty. Where in some really, really poor countries, crime is much, much lower. So it's actually that inequality where you have young men, they have no chance of making their way. And that's that, why I suppose the the trappings then feed into it. Those yeah. you know the runners, the tracksuits, the designer yeah. hats. I always think of um, Kean Mulready Woods and yeah. Drahada, seventeen year old boy. And you know the day that it was put out, what he was wearing when he went missing, and of course he had a Hugo Boss tracksuit bottom. He had Hugo Boss runners on him. He had a Gucci hat and he had a Canada Goose jacket. Yeah. I mean, it was almost the uniform of those young men who've been groomed into crime gangs. Yeah. And if you think back in, in the 80s, I don't know about you, but we used to always look at what our friends were wearing and yeah. we'd almost go around in a crew wearing exactly the yeah. same thing because yeah. that's about finding your tribe. Yeah. And unfortunately for these young people, their tribe is involved in serious criminality. And what I often find, and I, I don't know if you guys find it, but when I speak to young people that are out the other end, yeah. they talk about not realising how big 
it was that they were involved in, not realising how dangerous it was. And and we saw an example of this recently in Kerry where there was like, I, I can't remember the number of young people, but there was a number of young people in Kerry that were in, in, enlisted and, and groomed into money milling. Yep. And they didn't really see, for a lot of them, see that as a crime. But it was a crime and it is a crime. And many of them could be facing charges up to 14 years under the Terrorism Act. And for life, that will affect them and they will be, you know, um, disregarded from financial products like mortgages, the scandal within the small community. And they were all recruited through one of their peers. So it goes back to that. When you talk about what that young man was wearing, he just wanted to be part of his tribe. Mm. And young people do want to be part of something, particularly if they're coming from a background where... They don't they, feel they, like they don't, they don't have a belonging they anyway. Have no, they have no yeah. family yeah. kind of status, really, yeah. because yeah. there's chaos at home. And Parenting we're problems, that, yeah. Yeah, and we're seeing that a lot more in overcrowded houses. Poverty and violence and drugs will bring this kind of environment for young people to be mm. right for radicalisation. And what about addiction? Like addiction, in, you know, kids coming from, from parents where addiction is rampant, is a, yeah. you know, that is a real issue, isn't it? It is. And again, it's physiological because addiction changes the brain. And then what you're talking about is you're talking about how the young person is brought up, how they're reared. And it's as basic of that. So it's like, you know, are they getting a proper breakfast nutrition that affects how the brain Mm. develops? Um, Even even when they're being fed as a baby, is eye contact being, being made between the mother and the baby? Probably not if somebody's in addiction because if somebody's in addiction, they can't give that care given... That in itself stops the development of um, the, the neural pathways yeah. in the brain. So, so it's as fundamental as that. And you do see a lot of projects out there, and I've spoken about it before, in the Preparing for Life project on the north side of Dublin that works. Now, I'm not saying the people in that project are all addicts yeah. at all, yeah. but what they do is they work with people from pregnancy and they support them if any need does arise. Um, and for most of the people on that project, there's no issues really. They just need some support because yeah. they're parenting alone. Yeah. And that can be difficult as well when we look at the amount of loan parents that we have so if they don't have support or if, what about if they're in emergency accommodation mm, like mm. Where, where is the normality for these children we're setting up like and the, all these children that are in emergency accommodation now in 10 years time we're going to see yeah. the damage we've done because that's not going to be pretty look we we get calls every week i mean we had a story recently we had another story that that where that we didn't do actually in the end because the girl did get sorted. She's in a severely autistic child yeah. living in one of the homeless hubs. Mm. The child's nonverbal, hitting his head off the wall. She was working for years, but can't work yeah. in order to mind the child because mm. if she goes to work, the state's not going to do it. And it's just such a bad cycle, you know. But imagine trying to parent within that environment yeah. when you're at a point in... I suppose what we're talking about is really the kids that are identified and groomed into these gangs. Like if that's happening to your child when you're in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. It must it must be so out of control. But how do you keep yourself out of a depressed state? Mm. Yeah, exactly. Because, you and know, you also don't have the grounding of a community there around you. I mean, does that still obviously exists within a lot of communities where you're working in other 
community workers are involved in. While these areas might have a bad name as such, there's still a good community grouping in there. And the mothers talk to one another and they tip one another off if they've seen well, the it's kids. it's very important, the extended family, isn't it? Indeed? Yeah, the extended family, I think, was the, the, the happy of Irish society, yeah. particularly in working class yeah. areas. And what we've seen over the last 25 to 30 years is uh, that being dissipated because of the housing. And the way housing went during the Celtic Tiger and in the late 80s, as we started building then, we built these satellite towns. So uh, families that wanted to progress, yeah. people that wanted to buy, you know, a property couldn't afford to buy where they were reared. Yeah. So by design, yeah. families were broken up and communities were broken up. And we also saw the gentrification of um, very close-knit communities. And we also saw different um, kind of estates being built that were built housing, but there was no service provision in yeah. them. And like I love, on my way here today, I passed by a private estate that's been built in a very nice part of Dublin. And I saw this beautiful playground, right. beautiful, in this brand new estate. Yeah. Now, I've been campaigning for a playground in my area for the last five years. Yeah. I got the funding, the, the council have agreed the funding after five years, right? But people shouldn't have to campaign for them kind of services. Mm. They should be there by design. Mm. When my area was designed, there was a playground there and, you know, it, it got lost in the wayside during the recession of the 80s, which I remember there was no money in this country. But it's taken this long, 2024, to get it back. And I would also argue whenever all of these new housing provisions are built, that not only do we need childcare facilities like playgrounds and stuff like that, um, and I, will, I, this is my sword I'll die on. We need to have youth clubs in absolutely every estate that's built because where is there for young people to go? Yeah. Mm. Where, where, where do young people go? We see them all the time on the media fighting for resources. We see them fighting for sports pitches. Mm. We see them fighting for arts projects. Why do they have to fight for these things? It should be part of our natural setup within this country that when we put housing provision there, you uh, clubs have to be there fully funded, costed funded over at least a decade long. Mm. Because that's where we're letting young people down. What have they to do? Yeah. No, I mean, if they're not, if, if you know, if they're, they're involved. around the streets, the fact of the matter is they're going to be identified, especially the ones who are hanging around too long, that there's nobody calling them in for dinner and all the rest of it. They see, are the type of kids that... But you can see the parents fighting to keep them in the football or, or yeah. the GAA, like really with the kids, my, the kids of my age, kids' ages mm. and they're fighting all the parents. Are that's across the social divide though, that 14, 15, if you see there's a new ad campaign on, yeah. Um, yeah. is it the rugby or GA? I can't remember, yeah. I just saw it the other night and it's about trying to keep kids after the age of 14 within sports yeah. things yeah. and it is a battle for everybody. And if you can keep them there, yeah. Like it's going to really help them because they're a part of something. It's it, it, it lost yeah. time, really, when you try and think back about those years. And yeah. it, you're just so lost. You're not an adult, mm. not a child. Yeah. You don't really know what you are, except your friends or whatever they're doing is the most important thing. Yeah. And you would literally walk into the flames with them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's the thing, because you have lack of critical thinking and you have split thinking and everything is black and white because you're thinking like, I don't know about you, but I was about 30 before I could think straight, you know, like, like. <laughs> well, he's already. Well, I'm nearly there now. <laughs> yeah. But, but it, it, is, it is a difficult time to kind of find out who you are and that kind of thing. But I think when we talk about trying to keep people in sport and that, and you're right, Nicola, absolutely. It is a battle for everyone. But there is privilege in mm. having 
having somebody on your side. Mm. And there is privilege in having good people and good role models. For many of the young people that we deal with and that we're speaking about today, they do not have any pro-social role models. Now, that is not to say that the people that are in their life are purposely bad role models. Mm. It is because they are struggling Mm. to survive the circumstances and the environment that they're in, whether it be homelessness, whether it be addiction, whether it be mental health, and all of these different things that are happening within our society right now where social care is falling asunder. And when you do have parents, and I have seen this, parents that are screaming out for mental health supports for their young people, it is lacking. Mm -hmm. We have this huge crisis in psychology departments. We have the crisis in CAMS. So there's lots of things falling asunder here. And and what we're getting is more and more criminality, more violence and more poverty. Mm. So do you think these, obviously, probably we haven't, the reason we've come to this is partly because of the... uh, the laws, the proposed laws about uh, children being groomed into criminal gangs. Do you think, how do you feel that will work? Is that, I mean, obviously nobody thinks that's going to solve everything, but is it an important tool or is it... Yeah, I'll say two things on that. The, the the new law is really good because what it does is it puts the onus on the adult. But one of the things with it is, and this is mm. where there's a failing, is that the young person may have to give evidence mm. against that. So so to me, that's not really safeguarding the young person. And yeah. where does that put a young person who it could be a parent or an, or an aunt or an uncle or a cousin? particularly if it's a family thing. So if they do give evidence, then what you're doing is you're sentencing that child to being completely removed from their family. So so there's that piece. The other thing that I say about it is, yeah, laws are good, but the reality is we know, we know how important early intervention is. And early intervention is the key to this. So if... Uh, one of the safeguarding agencies identify a child is in an environment where there may be criminality or they may be being trafficked. And I call it trafficking because it is trafficking young people into criminal behaviour. Then they need to wrap services around that young person because a young person shouldn't have to deal with this on their own. Mm. They shouldn't have to survive. And what services are you talking when you talk about wrapping those services? So you're talking about things like CAMS, you're talking about TUSLI, you're talking about all of the um, psychological services. All those words are like, to us, we're like, ugh. You know, TUSLA and everything. It's just like, they feel like these unworkable, you know, antiquated monsters that have caused like from the stuff that we certainly hear a lot of I know that's not all bad but we do really good people in them of course yeah absolutely but like when you're talking about these giant agencies and you know and the idea of a a child and, and how slow all of that works you know a couple of weeks a couple of months in a child's life can be catastrophic for the rest of their days. Absolutely. And that's why we need to have like small area approaches, Mm -hmm. similar to what we used to have with with the health boards. We used to have small... Um, health boards, I'm sure you remember. Yeah. And they were kind of, you know, one-stop shops and they did everything. So when everything became bigger, what happened was it's a bit like I don't know about you, but if you walk with a, a large number of people and not one one person who is responsible for emptying the bin, well, then nobody empties the bin. Yeah. yeah. So things get lost because the bigger a, an agency becomes, particularly when you're dealing with human beings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not dealing with the computer says no here. You're dealing with human beings and very, very fragile young people yeah. who, like you say, Nicola, it is catastrophic, some of the experiences they have because they can have lifelong effects on them, mm-hmm. particularly if they've been exposed to 
uh, violence. Or let, let's look at another one. What about a young person growing up in a home and they see the guards raiding the home? Yeah. Right? So the guards are doing their job. Fair play. They have to raid the home. But where's the safeguarding for that young person? Because that young person, if that's their first introduction to the guards, they're looking at the guards taking their loved one, who's their parent, mm, no matter yeah. what the parent is like. And they're immediately going to look on the guards as the enemy. And, and the enemy is, you know, somebody who stays with a child for life unless they see different. So where's the, the kind of building up of good, positive relationships there? And I see the guards are doing a lot more work. They're going out into schools. Schools, yeah. And it's brilliant yeah. to see that. But I, like the guard, the, the guardy um, are an, an agency that are here by the grace of society. So, mm. so they are a, a, a company of people who should be involved in every part of our mm. society. Yeah. Not just when they're doing their training, because when they're doing their training, they're very often getting stuff with, involved with stuff like youth clubs and that kind of thing. But then once they get in the, the, the dig of their work, they don't have time for that, when actually that piece of work is so important. Mm -hmm. Because what that does is it makes you part of the community rather than imposing on the community your will as a, as a police officer. And that's crucial, I think, to building community relations. And we saw a lot of that during COVID. There mm -hmm. was a lot of goodwill to the Gardaí during COVID. Mm. Um, I have to say now, I do think the guards have really improved in their interactions with young people. I definitely think, I mean, all like sort of one of the things we reference, I suppose, is the calls we get. But we get so many bad calls by people with bad experiences with Tusla. And I'm sure there's wonderful people there in that big organisation. Um, but it's 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 a really complex, complicated problem. Do you think there's hope? Do you see hope for the future? Do you see change? Yeah, absolutely. I'm really positive, um, Niall. And I think one of the things that I see, and I see it more and more often the older I get, I see people that have come from backgrounds where they've had all these difficulties. And very often they go to work in these organisations and they bring the lived experience. Yeah. Mm. And does does a, does a truth in that? And there's an honesty in that and, and it's authentic. And, and what that does is it pushes people to see things from different perspectives. Because sometimes, and it's not just in Ireland this happens, it's, it's in any um, democracy, we see people working in organisations who are privileged. So they cannot comprehend. They can try, yeah. but they genuinely cannot truly feel what it is like for the end user or the service user. Mm. And I think the more and more we see young people coming from the backgrounds that I come from and coming from the places where I work, going through our education system and being supported by the brilliant Susie Grant and all of these brilliant things that have been put, put there by successive governments, the more we're going to see positive change because... You know, it's that old thing. To understand somebody, you have to walk a mile in their shoes. And for many people working at top levels, they've not walked in other people's shoes. So they have social capital. So they don't know what it is to be born with social deficit. And that mm. is the completely opposite ends of the scale there. It is because people <clears throat> from middle class backgrounds, like myself, like we, troubles occur, but you have that, um, you have that, get out of jail card where you have that family that mm. like troubles happen to everybody Yeah, but you have that somebody that can of, come in and yeah, yeah you, you have resources yes the resources, you have resources exactly people that are not mm. not intimidated by the systems that exist yes that don't feel powerless themselves yes. 
um, that aren't, you know, that have some sort of financial capability, even if they're not wealthy people. Uh, it makes all the difference. It, isn't it in the Jarvis Cocker sign, uh, song, The Common, common People? people. Yeah. Yeah. You, can, you know, where you, you can never watch your life slide out of you because your daddy will come in and help yeah. you. And that's, and that's the difference he says, you know. And I, I'll give you a very real example of this. So mm. a young 15-year-old from um, a background where, you know, there's all of the social issues that we've talked about and a young 15-year-old from a background where parents have careers and professions and contacts both get involved with, you know, grass. Mm. Yeah. One one gets a barrister or a solicitor to represent them and they don't get any mm. criminal sanction. One gets a criminal sanction. Immediately, their yeah. lives are different. Yeah. And that's about money. Yeah. And that's about resource. And that's about knowledge. It's knowledge is a big bit of it. Yeah. And know. one probably would have the money to go for private treatment yeah. and the other would yeah. be yeah. waiting if that treatment was needed. You're talking about the old system when the health boards used to be within communities and be a one-stop shop. And you're talking about youth clubs being created in areas where there's housing estates growing. You're really talking about community. Yeah. Being the ultimate sort of, and and, and those communities being smaller communities than yeah. what they are today, you know, mm. being an area of Blanchardstown rather than Blanchardstown yeah. per se, 100,000 people or whatever it is live there. That's too big a community yeah. to look after kids in. Yeah. So you're talking about sort of going back to a place where, Everybody has a role then, don't they, in those communities? Yeah. Probably mothers largely and, and fathers step up as, you know, volunteers in, in the groupings that exist. Yeah. You have some people that are paid and maybe see a career working proper in that area. And then you have the buildings provided by the the state. Yeah. And that's really what you're talking about going forward. So to go forward, we have to go back. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's that's precisely it. Like we we saw the professionalism of community sector in mm. the nineties when all the funding came in from Europe and when we were awash with money. So what you saw was all of the grassroots organisations that were there mm. in response to the massive recession that we had in the eighties because we were broke in the eighties. Yeah. We well, where we <laughs> you know there, there was money, but we weren't yeah. getting it. Um, but I remember in my community, for example, like my mother was uh, the chair of the summer project um, she was involved in the residence mm. association and um, all of the locals all did something. Somebody did a gardening project and I continue today. I run our community page at home um, and, and, and what that does is it creates what's called connectedness yeah. and connectedness is the, the the thing that holds a community together. If people can feel connected to each other, and you spoke about your dad earlier mm. in Cabra, and mm. he said we were all poor, but nobody robbed anybody because yeah. there was connectedness, yeah. okay? Yeah. Mm. So what we have right now is we have people being so disconnected from reality, mm. from their families, from their original community, mm. from um, having a normal life if they're in emergency accommodation or homelessness. All of these different things that are happening for people is causing a disconnect. And all of these people are even disconnected with the political system. Yeah. So they don't even know. Many of them won't even vote. Mm. Because for them, it's like they're just surviving. And I always say it's childhood should not be about survival. It should be about thriving. And that's why you're right, Nicola, we do need to go back to go forward and to look at, you know, small area community building and building community capacity and building community resilience. But the organs of the state have to support 
Mm. And I mean, really, actors. like the housing crisis is is at the centre of it all, and it's the centre of it all. Yeah, isn't and it? then you see as well, you're talking about people so disenfranchised, and then you get yeah. the rise of all of the other mm. stuff that isn't, you know, yeah, the, I'm, the I'm, scapegoating and all. And of does it. that old style almost of of community? Does it fit in this modern world where we haven't really? I think it does. Yeah. Honestly, I think I, we does. have to rebuild it basically. But I think it does. I think, like you know, I think part of it though is the extended families. You know, not allowing them to live together has caused a, a big problem. You know, because mm. if there is family breakdown, but you know, the sense of community still exists. I think. I think it is. It's yeah. also a natural human thing, mm. but it needs to be helped. Develop it does, and I, I think it too, feels a bit like the tribe that you're yeah, about, the teenagers is. looking for. That's yeah. what the yeah. community is. It is, and I and I think we're also missing a trick in this in this country around welcoming new communities. Yes, because we have such a vibrant new community from countries all over the world, mm. and every one of them want to be part of something. They're not coming here to push our communities out. They're no, not coming no. here to exist on their own in silos. They want to be part of an Irish society, mm. and actually, it's an opportunity for us to build new tribes communities that are influenced by outside traditions and, and you do see a lot of work being done in this. So you see it in the NEIC, you see it in Drogheda, you see it in uh, Ballyfermot, you see it in all these different areas that are doing these welcoming events where they're bringing people in from other communities mm. to stop the rise of the hateful rhetoric that yeah. we saw a couple of months ago on the streets of Dublin for example by a very small cohort yeah. but very organised group of people. Mm. So that's what we need to stop actually. Mm. We need mm. to stop that rot yeah, yeah. that's happening and look you need we need to we need to we need to plan better as a country like I know it's yeah. it's like you, you just we just the housing crisis drives so much of that all of the negatives I think in society just, when we look at Drogheda and we'll finish on Drogheda but obviously what happened there was all about the grooming of kids there was two groupings in the area between them they had about a hundred members and there was something like 50% of those members of both groupings under the age of 25 and about one in five were teenagers. Yeah. All groomed, all treated very badly by the elders in the groupings. And, you know, in a way that's what caused the divide because it was one group that split by younger kind of ambitious underlings who were sick of being treated so badly, I think, by... by. But, I mean, Drogheda is, is just such an interesting town because... All of that was happening as cocaine use was growing, as the population was growing, as it became a commuter town because people couldn't afford to buy in the city. So they bought there. Because of its distance from Dublin, they socialised in Drogheda, the people living there and working in Dublin. And all of that sort of came together as a perfect storm, created a huge cocaine market, which created a huge amount of grooming of children. It, it, it did. And, and what you saw there as well was these initiation practices that went on within the gangs and that cruelty mm. that was, you know, yeah. hammered out to the other young people. So for a young person, and in this case it was males, if they're going to be continually treated with violence and disrespect, well, that is going to bubble up. And, and that's what happened when them underlings came up. And I think whenever we look at any community, Andrade is just symbolic in, in Irish society right now because... Them kind of feuds are going on right across this mm. country. Mm. Yeah. And I think one of the things that the piece that 
people miss, and we've seen a bit of it lately, is the influence of transnational gangs yeah. within our communities. Yeah. And many people don't realise, like, they watch programmes on Netflix. I've never seen it. No narcos, apparently. Yeah. Is that, is yeah. that about Brazil? Yeah, probably or? the only person I know, in the world. Uh, well, you see, it'd be a busman's holiday for me to watch anything like that. Yeah. You know, for me, I don't. People go, did you watch such and such? And I go, no, not no. really. I'd rather watch Shit's Creek or whatever, you know, <laughs> which is hilarious. Yeah, it is cool. um, so, so when you look at them kind of programs, people go, God, it's not mad that happens in that country. When in reality, we saw recently the big crystal meth. We saw mm. the, the money mulling that I mentioned earlier. We've seen the huge amounts of cocaine and they're all led and driven by transnational gangs. Exactly. I mean, what happened with Drahada was, you know, it could have gone on forever with firebombings and stabbings or whatever, but they just, there was some senior criminals who had connections and it just brought firearms into it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, the, as you said, these youths go on. And are going on all over the yeah. country, yeah. But they had access to firearms and it was just, they were just able to escalate it up another level. Um, I suppose it fo it focused us on what could happen and what was happening on the yeah. ground because Drahada became a national story. Um, like what can be done in a place there where you can identify smaller estates, smaller areas, where these children are being groomed and you can probably identify vulnerable kids and families. So, yeah. you know, take that as a blueprint and what should we be doing there? Yeah, well, we, we can look at what other countries have done. So Glasgow, for example, um, put millions into the Violence Reduction mm. Unit. And what that did was it set up, like similar to what they've done in Drada, like an implementation board. So what that involved was looking at all the different areas where there was lack so if there was a lack of resources, they resourced them. And to be fair to the the Minister of Justice, uh, Helen McEntee, she has put funding into Drada. Yeah. And they have got an implementation board there based on the Gearing report that was done. And what that's done is it's broken down all the different areas where it is lacking. And they've got the people, the right people around the table. They've got community c consultation there. And what they're doing is they're rolling out plan after plan. So, mm. so the crime and policing subgroup, for example, mm. are doing this huge piece of work in the schools, building relationships and um, doing kind of, uh, I suppose, like a bit like what the politicians do, having like days where people can come to their to the office and, yeah. and speak to the guards about all sorts of things. So it's about being more uh, front facing rather than being more reactive. So there's a lot that you can do. But again, it goes back to. Is that all similar to what has happened in Limerick or was implemented? Yeah, in absolutely. Limerick? And, and yeah. the same as what was implemented under the Mulvey um report in the NEIC in response to the Kinnan and Hutch feud. So they've been kind of like templates that we can use. But I suppose from my perspective, and, and, and this is going to sound a, a little bit pessimistic, it troubles me. It troubles me so much that we have to wait until things escalate before we then put the resources in. Mm. Because we know what the predictors of this type of criminality is. We know from the research and unfortunately we know from experience. So really we should be a little bit more proactive in yeah. our strategy around yeah. building communities. And when something is flagged, it should be addressed in the most timely manner. Because for many people living in communities where they're experiencing drug-related intimidation or antisocial behaviour or they're seeing their children being groomed and they can't reach them. Imagine how painful that is mm. for a parent, particularly if they have done huge work on themselves and put themselves in education or whatever. And because they're time poor, yeah. because they're having to work two or three jobs to keep themselves going, the beautiful child that they've reared on their own, maybe through struggles of homelessness, through struggles of depression, whatever, is taken 
Yeah. By mm. these monsters. Yeah. And that's what they are, monsters. Yeah. And I mean, who and, pray. What, and what can you do as a parent with a 16-year-old boy, Imagine. for example? You know, you can say, you're not allowed, you're not allowed to go out, but... You just, just take a phone off you. It's just, it's just not... <laughs> you run right. out of... And people, sometimes you hear people saying, oh, I wouldn't let my child go on like that, but it's just not that simple. Like I've had parents say to me, my child is smoking grass mm. and what I do is I get him enough grass for the weekend because I'm working my weekend job so he'll stay in his room. Mm. That's to keep that child safe. Mm. Like that's crazy yeah. that that's yeah. what they mm. feel they yeah. have to do to keep the, the child rather than the child being out in the streets. When that's your options, that's yeah. that's a really sad indictment yeah. of the safeguards that we have for young people and that's where you clubs need to be yeah. and that's where the good role models need to be. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Okay, well, thanks very much, Trina, for coming thanks, in. And you're it. going to come in now more often. I am. Thank yeah. you very much. Very pressure well. on you. Yeah, yeah. That's no problem. I'm always happy to have <laughs> yeah, a yeah. chat. It's really, <laughs> really lovely because, because you came on my podcast. Absolutely. And I just <laughs> mentioned my podcast. <laughs> well, go for it. <laughs> if you don't mind. I saw, a little, um, I saw a little TikTok or a little social media of him on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're TikTok. Yeah, really I'm, getting, I'm well. talking about getting a trip. talking about getting beheaded or something. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah, you laughed. You were so you were so sympathetic. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, so it goes I, on. That's yeah. pretty typical. I'm currently recording season three and exclusive for your podcast. Yeah. I'll be hosting it alone. Unfortunately, um, my co-host Sarah has got another job which rules her out of doing the podcast. So, so just be me. But I'm looking forward to probably releasing around May the third season. So um, I'll be in and out to you before then anyway. Yeah, and give... The listeners, the name of the oh, podcast, the name of the podcast where they yes. can Thank listen to much. us. <laughs> so it's it's called Real Lives Untold, and um, they can get it on Acast, Apple, any of the platforms. And it's a weekly podcast. But I might actually drop a few episodes when I'm uh, putting out uh, season three. Yeah. So I'm yeah. still trying to work out the format because because I'm doing it on my own and I have other work. I kind of have yeah. to work it around all the other jobs that I do. And there's nobody more interesting than Niall Donald. It's I know. Definitely not. Describing how he was threatened with beheading <laughs> with me laughing. Yeah, another, another cask. Yeah, I, know, I noticed when and then it, everyone went serious and I just went... <laughs> <laughs> it was good fun. Your episode, your episode was probably the funnest yeah, that yes. we've done because it's quite a serious podcast yeah. at times. Yeah. But thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I will come in more often. Really Thank good. you. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to Crime World, a podcast from Sundayworld.com, produced by Ian Mullaney and edited by me, Nicola Talent. Research assistant is Claude Amini. If you like this show and love true crime, leave us a review. Or why not download the free sundayworld.com app for lots more stories from Ireland and across the globe. Would you like to be able to start conversations like a pro? Take the Sunday World, your daily dose of what's going on. Do not consume the Sunday world if you're involved in a drug cartel, you're a politician with something to hide, or you've appeared on a reality TV show and care about others' opinions. Consume the Sunday world responsibly. Always read the stories, gossip, and commentary.